0: All right. Welcome to our guest segment. We're super excited to have him back with us. Investigative journalist and author Dylan Howard. And he's got so many great books. You want to go to Amazon and uh, check out his book on Aaron Hernandez, which we had him on recently. He also has a book out on Jeffrey Epstein. And make sure you get his name spelled correctly. It's Dylan D Y. L-A-N, and then Howard, H-O-W-A-R-D, a a whole page there uh, at Amazon, all of his books. And then on top of it, he has a number of really incredible podcasts that get into all of these same topics, and the podcasts are fantastic to listen to in addition to reading all the books. Dylan Howard, thank you so much for being with us again, sir.
1: It's good to be back with you, Jim.
0: I think my audience will be happy that I will be changing subjects from coronavirus.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, it is a, a, it is, it is a very frightening time. I, I, this is not fear-mongering by any stretch of the imagination. In the last half an hour, the first case in New York City has been confirmed by New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. A, foreign, uh, an, uh, a local Manhattanite who returned from an overseas trip and is now in quarantine in their apartment, the first case to hit Manhattan. As uh, someone living in the city, it's it's a frightening thought.
0: It really is, especially when they say that this virus can live on a surface for nine days, nine days. I mean, yeah. and, and you think of somewhere like a New York, New York City where, I mean, how many things do you touch just taken a normal day of, of riding the subway and getting in and out of cabs and Ubers and going to restaurants and using restrooms. I mean, how many surfaces are you touching that thousands of other people have also touched? I mean, even if you're super careful and you're constantly cleaning, washing your hands and using sanitizer, you know, and then it's airborne. You know, if somebody happens to cough in your direction, it, it it's a scary world. I want to talk about this book because it is, um, it what was it, 22 years now since Diana, yeah. Princess Diana was killed in the tragic car accident. And there's so much about this book I want to get into. And and of course, we're only going to scratch the surface, folks. So if you're interested in this case, you've got to get the book. It is so detailed and there's so much in here. We're only going to scratch the surface. But I wanted to start by asking you about Prince Harry and him leaving the Royal family, because I'm starting to connect some dots here and, and maybe you disagree, but uh, I think that Prince Harry may very well be leaving the Royal family for many of the same reasons that Diana wanted to get away from that group. And I think there's a lot of terrible, dark secrets being hidden by the Royal family and they don't like it when people get outside of their orbit, just like the mafia, doesn't let you leave except in a body bag because there are secrets. And in reading your book, one of the points being made was they didn't want her to get outside of their orbit because of these dark secrets. And now, of course, we have Jeffrey Epstein to add to everything else, the huge, long punch list of of issues that people have speculated about for many years about the royal family and their secrets that they're hiding. Um, What do you think about uh, Prince Harry leaving and any type of parallel there?
1: Well, the Windsors had certainly rebuilt themselves after the death of Princess Diana, in which they were savagely criticized by the British public for their seemingly um, senseless handling of the matter. But in the legacy of Princess Diana were two very troubled individuals. Now, one of those, is Prince William who has embraced the firm as they like to call themselves. The other being Prince uh, Harry who still blames the media uh, and the family, the royal family, for its intense uh, attention on his mother, which he blames for leading to her death. Specifically, he blames the media and its intense interest in Diana. Uh, as contributing to her death. And, you you know, he's brought legal action in the United Kingdom against some of the newspapers alleging similar-like tactics against his wife, um, formerly known as uh, the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle. So their decision to abdicate from the royal family, um, certainly there are some parallels with the Princess Diana situation. Although Princess Diana was still embraced as a member of the royal family, even after her divorce from Prince Charles.
0: Yes. And, um, you know, I'll tell you the most shocking thing in this book, if I understand this right, is that she actually, call it a prophecy, she predicted twice that this would happen to her. Do I understand that right, that she predicted twice that Uh, she would die in a car accident and she believed it would be staged to look like an accident, but it would not be? And she made that prediction two separate times.
1: She did on one occasion to uh, an astrologer that she and psychic that she worked with. Um, I, I believe she also might have actually made the same Uh, statement to Paul Burrell, her former butler, but most significantly is that she did make the statement to her lawyer who documented this. Now, that in itself gave rise to the uh, conspiracy theories over the last 22 years that Diana's death was anything but a car accident. Now, as salacious and interesting as those rumours are, The reality is it's a much more simple tale. This was a drunk driver in Henri Paul um, who was behind the wheel of the Mercedes-Benz who was over the legal limit and should never have been allowed to drive that vehicle. But what actually took place on that fateful night was that another vehicle was entering into the tunnel, the same tunnel that Diana had sped into after leaving um, the Ritz Hotel in Paris with her lover Dodie al Henri Paul the driver and her bodyguard Trevor Reese jones Now that vehicle was entering into the tunnel via a merge lane. That car was a white Fiat Uno. Eyewitnesses uh, that I've spoken to and indeed authorities have admitted that that white Fiat Uno was seen racing out of the tunnel after the collision occurred. In examining the crime scene, and that's what we do as part of Diana Case Solved, uh, in working with a former detective crime scene investigator uh, from Australia, uh, Colin McLaren, who actually was on scene two days after Diana died, you can establish via the markings on the road and on the concrete uh, leading into the tunnel that Princess Diana's Mercedes likely collided with the white Fiat Uno sending it airborne and careering into the 13th pylon. So inevitably people have asked the question, well, who was the man behind the white Fiat Uno and did he have nefarious connections to potentially uh, intelligence operations or individuals who may have wanted Diana dead? Quite frankly, there has been nothing to establish that. The man behind the wheel is a gentleman by the name of Lee Van Tan, and he has not spoken for 22 years. Until uh, July last year, when in a suburban Paris neighbourhood, I turned up at his home and spoke to him, and he broke his silence for the very first time. And to paraphrase, he confirmed that, yes, he was indeed in the tunnel on the night in question, and that it was an accident and nothing more than that. Curiously, though, that particular night, after colliding with the Mercedes-Benz, Lee Van Tan spray-painted his white Fiat Uno red so as to avoid detection from police. He's long been sought by those investigating this case, including... Operation Pageant, which was the inquest into Diana's death, but he's refused to comment and cooperate on the basis that he has no legal uh, undertaking to do so. So in many ways, I sympathise with Lee Van Tan, because he was unwittingly caught up in this circumstance as a driver that, quite frankly, never saw a car travelling at the speed that it was, Trying to avoid the press, which was many, many miles back and nowhere within sight of Princess Diana's car,
0: is it? Yeah, is it, the whole the whole night is just incredible. And I want to start with uh, the Ritz Carlton Hotel, which uh, Dodi Al-Fayed, his father, owns the hotel. So they stopped there, assuming you know his father owns the place. He he has run of the place. He could you know, probably go in and out any entrance or exit he wants to use service elevators, whatever he wants to do. But the idea, the the plan is hatched that they're going to go out the back door. And apparently, from what I understand, the security people said, no, that's they're going to expect that. That's not what we want to do. But they decided to go out the back door anyway. And that's where the cat and mouse uh, chase started. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. And, and, and much has been made of the suggestion that the paparazzi, uh, killed Diana by igniting the chase at high speed through the streets of Paris. Now I've done that many, many times, uh, recreated the, uh, exact route that she and Dodie and the Mercedes took and at high speeds. What I can tell you is the Mercedes was going at a speed that outdid the paparazzi. The paparazzi were traveling on mopeds or um, scooters, um, not high-powered vehicles that could outspeed any particular um, vehicle. So the reality is that the paparazzi were nowhere to be seen when Diana entered into the tunnel. But the very nature that Henri Paul decided that he needed to speed to avoid the paparazzi does give them a level of culpability. But this does come down to the issue of culpability. Um, you have the most famous woman in the world who is seemingly love struck with a new uh, boy toy in Dodi Al-Fayed, um, being harbored by the Al-Fayed family, which... Uh, was attempting to break into the upper echelons of British society, the father owning Harrods department store in central London, owning the Ritz Carlton in Paris. And they assign a driver who is three or four times the legal blood alcohol limit. So when it comes down to an issue of culpability, one must point the finger at the Al-Fayed um, and also, sadly, the only living survivor member of the car crash, Trevor Reese Jones, who was Princess Diana's bodyguard, but didn't intervene, knowing full well that uh, Henri Paul was inebriated. I mean, it, it, it beggars belief that no one would have been able to establish that Henri Paul Was drunk as a skunk. Um, So the issues of culpability. Whilst I do accept that the paparazzi might have fueled the high speed car chase, there are many others that should be held accountable for what took place. Yeah, I've never, I've never,
0: I've never agreed with this narrative that. Because there were paparazzis following them, they had to get they had to get to such a high speed that it caused them to lose control of their car. I have I have uh, taken on investigative um, cases where I started to have people following me because I was exposing a Ponzi scheme and on two occasions cars followed me. I just drove my normal speed. (laughs) I didn't, you know, go up to 200 miles per hour through a tunnel because someone was following me. Now, if they were waving a gun out the window, I might have done that. But uh, yeah, yeah, this whole idea that uh, the media, I mean, the the, the media follow people all the time, take pictures of people all the time. Um, I've never bought into that whole narrative that the media is is at fault they're obnoxious but they're certainly not at fault for the death now this tunnel I've been in this tunnel and, and I've been to that hotel as well because I wanted to see it it's a very small you know very small boutique type hotel and so they get outside they get into uh their what was it two or three car um group that they had uh, together and this tunnel is is such a narrow tunnel. I, I've been through this tunnel many times. There's not even really a shoulder in this tunnel to describe it to people. It it is a very you have like two lanes on each side, and then there are these these pi, you know, these these um, support beams between the two sides. There's not even Uh, Really a shoulder area. And this is one of those things where I don't know if it's marked there, uh, but but in the US, they would say, don't change lanes. They would have you slow down, put your lights on. In many cases, this is a very cautious type of driving that would occur in such a tunnel. This this tunnel is not built in any way, shape or fashion to be going that type of speed Uh, it it, would you agree that 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 is is just probably that was really the point at which this got out of control open driving on an open highway is one thing but doing that inside this tunnel where the margins of error are so small
1: and and collide with another vehicle sending you airborne and to have the driver be as drunk as he was this whole set of circumstances was sadly the perfect storm that ensured that the Mercedes-Benz went flying into the 13th pylon. Now, um, much has been made of uh, the French authorities' investigation into the car accident. And I think, Jim, that's why some 22 years later, we're still talking about this because um, Operation Pageant uh, really came to no robust conclusion. The French authorities seemingly whitewashed this case. The reality was that Diana lay in that vehicle and paparazzos who caught up to her were able to take photos of her um, and other passengers inside the vehicle. And of course, you know, it's not to be forgotten on anybody that the only surviving member of that uh, particular car accident was a man who was wearing a seatbelt, Trevor Reese Jones. Everyone else wasn't. But the the car accident that had occurred around about midnight had been completely removed from the tunnel by 3 a.m. in order for it to be reopened for peak hour traffic the morning thereafter. In what country, when the world's most famous woman is involved in a car accident, is a potential crime scene and it was a potential crime scene a potential crime scene whitewashed and uh, completely uh, turned upside down and restored to its original fashion so quickly this was a case that was botched from the very first instance from French authorities who panicked at a time and didn't know what to do and this comes back to Lee Van Tan. In my eyes, Lee Van Tan, the driver of the white Fiat Uno, has never answered questions under oath and will never be compelled to. Why? Because the French authorities don't want a French national to be the one who is blamed for the death of the people's princess when in reality Lee Van Tan just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time.
0: Yeah the, the that whole that whole scene of the accident so many things about it that don't make any sense for example uh I of course listened to the podcast I read the book this idea of bringing the car out without covering it or in any way trying to preserve um what was in that vehicle it, they treated it like it was just any routine accident nothing special being done uh, and you know, I think even here in the United States, uh, I live very close to Interstate 95 uh, here in Northeast Florida, and uh, on occasion, there's just a regular, you know, accident, nobody famous, and they'll close it for hours uh, to be sure that they Mm -hmm. take pictures. They carefully remove all of the vehicles because of litigation and possible criminal culpability of drivers and so forth and so on. It it becomes a potential crime scene and uh, drivers will just have to sit and wait in their car or take uh, detours or whatnot. And this was Princess Diana, arguably at the time maybe the most famous woman in the world And this happens, and it's like, let's quickly sweep this up and make sure that uh, the gates of Disney World open up in the morning.
1: I I, I just can't even process this. That's that's essentially what occurred. And um, uh, it was a fraught investigation from the very first instance. Um, There was malfeasance involved in the investigation. And that really contributed to what has been the last 22 years of conspiracy theories that she was killed from any uh, from anyone and everyone to an arms dealer, to MI6, to the royal family and others, when in reality uh, it was an unfortunate set of circumstances that could have been wholly avoided um, if a drunk driver wasn't put behind the vehicle and they were wearing seatbelts.
0: Yeah, just just a a tragedy in so many different ways. What do you make of the criticism of how the emergency medical treatment was delivered? That's another conspiracy theory because you have people that come out uh, and say – look if this happened in the United States uh, immediately airlifted to a trauma center uh, why they said well this is just different in, in France they they treat on the scene and they have experts and, and equipment and they do the treatment on the scene that never made sense to me but maybe I don't know but it, it would have seemed like uh, it shouldn't have taken so many hours for her to be brought into the best uh, medical facility in the area
1: You would think so, yes. Now, there are a lot of contributing factors that play into this. Um, She was treated at the scene initially. Eyewitnesses on the scene have said that uh, they describe a smiling princess just with a little cut on her head. But in reality, she'd suffered significant trauma, Um, similar to the trauma um, that uh, Ronald Reagan received um, when he w- was the assassination attempt was placed upon him, however, uh in the instance of Diana, she was in the back of the ambulance, and the ambulance took an incredibly long time to travel such a very short distance in order to get to the hospital now, there are various factors for that she was being treated in the ambulance um, and also the streets of Paris are very different uh, than the streets of uh, a regular normal city. they're cobblestones in some areas, and that can contribute to the treatment that is ongoing in the back of um, the back of the ambulance. Again, all of these unusual factors contributed to a slew of conspiracy theories. but upon investigation, and I hate to be the one to be the bearer of bad news for any conspiracy theorist out there the reality is that there are plausible explanations for everything that took place on the night in question. That doesn't mean that what took place was right for any stretch of the imagination, but there are genuine explanations for what took place.
0: Right. And so I'm with you because, uh, for example, incompetence, in in some of these things doesn't automatically mean a conspiracy because if that were the case, our entire government would be a conspiracy because if incompetence is, you know, the test, uh, the whole IRS is a conspiracy. <laughs> so we can certainly, we can certainly, you know, connect those dots. And I hear you have a dog. I'm a dog lover too, and uh, my dog occasionally gets on the broadcast. Uh, <laughs> so no worries about that. Um, what about this? What do you make of these uh, this couple, the Firestones? Um, I, I find that them very interesting because they were witnesses and they're not just witnesses that have this attitude of, hey, I'm a witness. If you need anything, let me know. They're not of this they are dogged that they are you know that they saw some things and they have suspicions why they were not uh, given a, a more a thorough interview? Their interview was apparently largely redacted, uh, so they're c- c- confused about why what they said. Was redacted. They then return back uh, to the other investigation uh, to London, I believe, and they insist to be interviewed uh, to provide even more information. Their take on it is that the investigators in the UK in essence, just blew them off. Like, look, uh, we're going to humor you, let you say what you need to say, and then let's, okay, get back, get off the stand, you're done. Um, what do you make of of these folks? They certainly seem sincere, and they seem like they really have a passionate interest in getting their their story out. Do, do they add anything to this story one way or the other?
1: Well, they certainly add uh first hand experience from being uh in the tunnel moments after the crash and um you know interestingly i spent some time with them and i uh, asked them if they took photos of diana and it was a question that they were not prepared to answer um their version of events is that it was bungling police in an in an initial circumstance uh, that they were allowed to be at the crime scene or, or the scene of the accident so quickly thereafter and for a significant period of time. Um, they say that they attempted to tell their story to French authorities who combined both um, the husband and wife statements into one instead of putting them in separate rooms to validate the information. Now, they say that amounts to um the suggestion that the authorities didn't want to know uh the truth of what took place, but the reality is the Firestones don't um, have any idea of the moment of impact, just that they believe that the ensuing investigation was not handled as it should have been. And I think we're all in agreement with that, but whether that amounts to um you know m i six being involved is a completely and vastly different story. so I do understand uh their frustrations in the story, um but unfortunately, n- there is no evidence that they have presented that would suggest that um that this was anything more than a routine car accident, and they just happened to be uh Johnny on the spot, if you like. Uh, very
0: soon thereafter. Now, tell me about all of the different legal proceedings. So there was uh, legal proceedings and investigations in France by the French authorities, and then there were investigations separately by the UK, and then there was also civil litigation. And Mohammed Al Fayyad, uh, the father of Dodi Fayad, he continued uh, with this uh, all. I mean, he, he wouldn't let this go for, for years and years and years, was still convinced there was more to this. So is there anything still going on? And then what were all the different steps of this criminally and civilly uh, in terms of of investigations and litigation?
1: So the most significant of these was Operation Pageant, which was the UK government's um, the UK government led investigation into the death, and this was overseen by Lord Stevens, who was the former head of Scotland Yard and did a very thorough and comprehensive job. The one person he didn't speak to and has gone on the record by his spokespeople about his frustration at not speaking to this individual is Lee Van Tan the driver of the white Fiat Buno so in the wake of my speaking with him uh we reached out to Muhammad Al-Fayed and his attorney now Muhammad Al-Fayed's in his 90s at the moment and he said that he wants to enjoy the latter years of his life uh without this becoming an ongoing story however His lawyer, Michael Mansfield QC, and his former spokesperson, who was a former royal correspondent for the BBC, said the fact that Lee Van Tan has spoken is enough to either demand a new inquest or reopen Operation Pageant. Now, my sources within the intelligence community inside Britain say that Lord Stevens, as recently as 2018 had made overtures to Lee Van Tan to want to speak to him about what took place. Van Tan has refused. When I put it to him that uh, European or British authorities wanted to speak to him, he said that he's simply going to avoid it and not participate. Um, that was the most thorough of investigations. Now Mohammed Al-Fayed conducted his own investigation and hired uh, private investigators and he certainly subscribed to the theory that this was an assassination, that both his son and Diana were executed because Diana was uh, get, going to get married to or was pregnant to um, a a Muslim and that the British establishment would not take kindly uh, to that. Now, there really is no empirical evidence to help back that claim up. Um, and simply it could be argued that the Fayette Corporation, if you like, um, uh, produced this narrative in order to deviate from the level of culpability that they had in allowing Henri Paul to get behind the wheel of the Mercedes Benz, which, um, to anyone that is cool headed and uh like lord stevens and others and myself colin mclaren and others who've studied this case for uh for years we conclude that it was a simple car crash the result of a collision but that the primary driver of the vehicle was someone who was unable to take control of an airborne vehicle because he was inebriated and that was Henri Paul. So the suggestion from the Fayette camp that um, this might have been an assassination and people were working for different intelligence arms and there were spooks involved and flashes of light into the tunnel that mimicked an MI5 uh, assassination attempt on Slobodan Milosevic many years earlier um, It simply is hogwash, in my view. There's no empirical evidence to suggest it, and it deviates from the the narrative that Muhammad Al-Fayed would not want, and that would be that, hey, a drunk driver that worked for you was behind the wheel of a vehicle that killed the most famous woman in the world.
0: Did Fayed ever get any type of compensation or anything uh, from anyone? I mean, obviously, it was his vehicle, his driver— He might not have much of a standing to collect from anyone, but was there ever any kind of a financial settlement uh, with any of his lawsuits?
1: You know, it's a very good question, Jim. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Um, He was adamant that this was nefarious. He funded uh, various um, private investigators Everyone from people around in different countries, the famous Mark Lane here in the United States, who investigated JFK's conspiracy. He was approached at one point, I understand, and flew over to London and met with uh, Fayed, who wanted him to help build out the conspiracy theory that this was murder. Um, he was very, very intent on 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 Uh, promoting that narrative but the facts just didn't seem there and as fraught as the French investigation was the reality was that this was a routine car accident and whilst the paparazzi took the shoulder of most of the blame it must be put into perspective that it's impossible that the paparazzi was traveling so close to the the vehicle as has been suggested because they simply didn't have uh, the power to be able to be there.
0: Yeah. The, the, that part of it, uh, I, I've never bought into that narrative that the paparazzi were, were to be, you know, held accountable for this. I've always had this general feeling that if you choose to live a famous life, which, you know, these people do, you choose to live a life like that. I mean, if you don't want someone to take your picture, if you have millions and millions of dollars, there are ways that you can be uh, sequestered into properties that have hundreds and hundreds of acres with walls around them I mean if that's your wish that no one's ever able to fo- photograph you you can certainly do that Howard Hughes <laughs> got away with it so that's not an impossibility but it's sort of an interesting uh, thing these uh you know we see this in America Alec Baldwin punching. The photographers, this sort of thing, but yet he's happy to cash the big checks uh, for being a television star and chooses to live, you know, in a place where, where you can be approached. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you is about the vehicle itself. You know, the vehicle I know was, you know, we would say totaled. It was a total loss, etc. Um did the, was the vehicle able to be salvaged at least to be able to have some type of for, forensic analysis to uh, perhaps address this claim that that maybe the brake lines were uh you know uh, monkeyed with or there was some sort of tampering to sabotage the vehicle itself
1: So yes the the vehicle was in a position to be examined by the french authorities which they did um, and lo and behold, what did they find? On the side of the Mercedes, they found white paint marks. Uh, they didn't find anything to suggest that the brakes had been tampered with, but they did find traces of that elusive white Fiat Uno. So in the process of investigating the case, they went through, uh, found how many white Fiat Unos were in Paris on that given night, how many had been sold, of that make and model, and were able to pinpoint Lee Van Tan, but they didn't take any action on Lee Van Tan because, as I said, they had that they had that belief that they didn't necessarily want a French national national to long be considered the man who took the life of the People's Princess. But the fact that the white Fiat Uno uh, on on the night in question uh, was in the tunnel, spotted by eyewitnesses. And additionally, that white Fiat Uno markings from it were found on the Mercedes-Benz. Certainly does corroborate the suggestion um, of the thesis of Diana K. solved that this was just a horrible car accident um, as a result of a drunk driver and an individual who just happened to be, as I said, in the wrong place at entirely the wrong time.
0: I want to give people all of the information here about how to get more in depth on this. So the book is Diana Case Solved. You can go to Amazon. You can find the book there. Now, the one thing about the podcast that might confuse people a little bit is this is the Fatal Voyage podcast, but it's rebranded now to be about JFK Jr., which is fascinating in its that own right. Correct. It that's a fascinating listen in its own right, so everybody should listen to that. But also, but earlier on, it was Natalie Wood. Then it was rebranded as Diana. Then it's rebranded now for JFK Jr. So, if people want to find the podcast, would would they still be able to search it under Diana, or should they search yes. for?
1: So if you if if you go to if you were to go to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and type in Fatal Voyage you will get access to the most recent fatal voyage which is JFK Jr and then just in uh deceding order you will see that there is uh the Diana series number 2 and series number 1 being Natalie Wood
0: very very interesting um on, on these podcasts um is this is this sort of the future then for you because it seems like we have a podcast and then there's an accompanying book that comes out and i always tell people do both because There's information that you'll get in the podcast. Maybe you're listening to that while you're driving, exercising. But then more details come out in the books. I love the combination of those two things.
1: Look, podcasting is is a terrific format. Um, When you investigate a particular series, um, the, the ceiling there is really no ceiling. So I love the the podcast format in investigating these types of stories. And um, certainly Fatal Voyage has proved very successful uh, with its three series to date, uh, the most recent being JFK Jr. And that is finishing up very soon um, and looking at what the next uh, potential case might well be with Robert Wagner turning 90 and that case uh, seemingly still in the headlines. We might be looking at, uh, at season two of Natalie Wood.
0: Wow. Now, now, one, one last thing. I know I've said this to you three times. I'm, I'm doing Columbo on you. Just one more thing. <laughs> no uh, one more thing. Now, I live in Florida and I actually checked in with the FDLE not too long ago. And, um, there's still that, that investigation into the sweetheart deal of Epstein is still going on. Can you believe it? And, uh, I've been I, hearing yeah. that there's going to be some major, bombshells that come out of how that deal came together and uh, is going to be another Epstein book from you
1: well there is going to be another Epstein book from me Um, it is titled Epstein Inc how the US government used sex trafficking and blackmail as as big business Wow Um, what has established uh, what I've been able to establish Is that the government was well aware of Jeffrey Epstein's activities yet did very little to stop him and the innocence of so many young women were taken as a result of that. Alex Costa alluded to that when he said he was told effectively hands-off in the case of Epstein. But just how deep this goes, to what level of government is going to be explored in this book and it really is frightening to think that someone who was, and we've established this, an agent acting on behalf of Israelis Mossad, was able to get away with his spying activities for so long and unchecked. That strikes at the very heart of uh, the relationship between Jeffrey Epstein and the FBI. Now, uh, a congresswoman asked on Friday in a hearing whether or not he was an informant to the FBI the question was avoided it's a question that should be answered and one that will be answered in our book through documentary and uh, disprovable evidence
0: here's one that will blow your mind Uh, Alex Acosta so after the whole Epstein affair he goes on to Uh be a Dean of the Florida International University College of Law and he started a course there in banking compliance and the topic was bank secrecy act and anti-money laundering that was his that's what he did there. he was in charge of the bank secrecy act and anti-money anti-money laundering course that's what he goes on to after, after this was after this was after the Epstein deal and I'm just thinking to myself How strange is this? Here's a guy who makes the sweetheart deal in 2008 with Epstein, then goes on in 2009 to become the dean of the Florida International University College of Law, and it says here he spearheaded the effort and established a Master's of Study in Law in Banking Compliance, the Bank Secrecy Act, and Anti-Money Laundering at FIU. (laughs) <laughs> I was thinking to myself. Uh, I mean, I mean, this is just yeah, bizarre. I mean, these people uh, are all swimming in the same pool. I you know, I I, I, just the coincidences uh, do not run short. But our governor, Ron DeSantis, who is a Republican, I don't think he cares what comes out in this, honestly, uh, one way or the other. I think that there's a lot of people who are going to be exposed to Um, And there was one other odd thing I heard, too. I don't know if it was um, it was one of the young women who had come out on the ABC podcast and she said something that probably nobody else picked up on me was uh, she needed a passport to go on a trip with Epstein. And he said, oh, don't worry, I can get you one in one day. Um, And and he was able to do that. And then on top of that, the home he was originally renting in New York City was being rented from the State Department. Now, this guy had connections well inside the government. I'm convinced of that. And I'm glad that your book coming out is going to do that because this type of thing, I've never been a believer in the idea that, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll let we'll let a bad guy get away with a lot of terrible things because there's a greater good later and that's really no doubt what happened with Epstein so we'd love to have you back sir on the next book and uh, any uh, any final thoughts, um, any websites you want to give out or other information on how people can get in touch and follow you on social media
1: People can follow me on Instagram at Dylan S. Howard and on Twitter at Detectives Page um, and as uh, you mentioned Amazon, Barnes & Noble and all good bookstores, uh, Stocking um my current work um and working on a few forthcoming releases as well including not a sequel on diana but an exploration of harry megan william and uh kate middleton and how the abdication of the sussexes rocked the royal family in what really is the biggest scandal to hit the family since diana's death
0: Wow. Lots of great stuff coming, and you're very busy, and we sure hope you'll come back again when you have your next project. Thank you so much for joining us, sir.
1: Anytime. Thank have, you, Jim. Thank Cheers. you. Have bye a good bye. night. Wow. <laughs> I could
0: sit down with this guy and talk for hours and hours. I mean, we're like on the same page, and he's going to have some major, major dirt on Epstein and the U.S. government in this next book, it sounds like, and I Love it. I love seeing all of that exposed. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Stay in touch. Drop me an email. Let me know you're listening. Jim at Christian Money.com. Go over to iTunes. Give us those five stars and a good review. We greatly appreciate it. And remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris live. We'll talk to you next time.